0: Hello, Girlboss Radio listener. This is your host, Sophia Amoruso, and I'm so excited about today's guest. She was until about a week ago. She still is the chief creative officer of Hearst Magazines and former editor-in-chief of Cosmo, Joanna Cole. So she just made an announcement that after a very long career at Hearst, she is actually leaving, and we weren't able to talk about this on the podcast. But she has so so much to share uh, through her long career in publishing. But first, I want to invite you to join the future of Girl Boss, which is coming, and it's very different from what we've been doing. It's really an extension of everything that we've done at the Girl Boss rallies. But don't want to talk too much about it. I don't want to blow our wad uh <laughs> is uh we're just calling it the future for now but you can go sign up to be one of the first to access it at the success it's such a complicated idea and yet for so long we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girl Boss Media, and this is Girl Boss Radio. Joanna Coles is a journalist, entrepreneur, producer, and author. Joanna was born in England and worked in London for many years as a journalist before moving to the United States in 1997. At that time, she worked for The Guardian and for The Times of London as their New York columnist. In 2006, she joined Hearst Magazines as the editor-in-chief of Mary Claire. It was during this time that she first started producing television, working on the Style Network's unscripted show, running in heels. In 2012, she was named Editor-in-Chief of Cosmopolitan, the world's largest women's media brand. If you guys don't know that, they have the largest circulation of any of the women's publications. So when you get into Cosmo, it's really exciting.
1: Print is still a very lucrative business. It's not as lucrative as it might once have been, but It's a very important part of a media brand and it's tangible, it stays, people carry it and use it, you know, they lay it out on their coffee table, they have it by their nightstand as an indication that they are a member of a tribe.
0: She has also served as the executive producer of the unscripted series So Cosmo on E!, these days, Joanna is or was or is on our way out as the chief content officer of Hearst Magazines overseeing content and editorial partnerships for 300 magazines globally.
1: I think that it always comes from, from the point of view of content, that you have to have a point of view and you have to understand what good content is. And then to a large extent, the commercial bit follows in terms of finding brands that want to to partner with you. She
0: also sits on the board of directors of Snap, Inc., is the executive producer of ABC Freeform's The Bold Type, Which is loosely based on her life and career, and it's actually pretty good. I watched it. And authored the book *Love Rules*, which is a guidebook for relationships in the digital age. Joanna was recently described by the New York Times as one of the most powerful people in media. And after going to Cannes Lions, which is the advertising festival in the south of France, where every advertising executive and media executive and content company goes. I saw the events she hosted and she is the most well-connected woman in media.
1: The exciting thing about media now is that there's
0: so much more of it and a lot of it's aimed at women. And today we're so lucky to have Joanna here to share tips for nailing your job interview the best way to break into the magazine business, and her advice for fellow working mothers. We'll get to our chat with Joanna in just a moment, but first, Maggie Renshaw and I are going to talk all about what's going on
2: here at the Girl Boss offices. Hey, Maggie. Hey. Uh, Hey. Hey. So I thought it'd be fun, in honor of Joanna coming on the show, to talk a little bit about love, maybe not in the digital era, but understanding it. Yeah. We have a piece on the site that talks about the five love languages which are really important because a lot of times we how we perceive love and also how we give it it's very different um, i read i read this book oh you did i bought it and read it cuz mm-hmm.
0: oh no actually my mother i think my mother emailed it to me or <laughs> mailed it to mm-hmm. me in the mail it was pretty enlightening for my relationship.
2: Mm-hmm, it's right? kind of like the Myers Briggs test of love. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I tell people. Yeah. Or of just relationships in general, because it helps decode friendships, um, like relationships between parents and children, yeah. and
0: everything. Like
2: how you how you receive love, because mm-hmm. if you give love in a way that it doesn't land for yep. someone,
0: like I tend to give gifts, mm-hmm. and my boyfriend does not give a shit about gifts. Mm-hmm. Like that's not his thing like he cares about i think it's quality time okay so that's much (laughs) less expensive Mm -hmm. but you know the way you express love isn't necessarily what matters as much as how the people you love receive it and if they
2: feel love exactly like you could probably still give a gift but that might be more for you Mm -hmm. and then doing something else too for them yeah i'm like hey (laughs) isn't this jacket
0: good looking i would love for you to take me to dinner in this nice jacket. Right. And, he's like,
2: mm, <laughs> and maybe get me a jacket, too. <laughs> thanks a lot. But if, for people that are listening that don't know the five love languages, they are words of affirmation, which is essentially saying something like, I love you or you're appreciated, basically being told why. Uh, physical touch, which is a hug, a kiss, a uh, hand-holding down the street. Humping. Ooh. Humping. Sure, sure quality time which is being together just being present putting down your phone going for a walk gifts which you touched on um which is basically just giving something of sorts like a a t-shirt roses yeah chuck yeah i like
0: roses i think i like gifts. <laughs> those were really but then if someone is doesn't re- isn't receiving if they don't get like the gift thing they think it's like frivolous so then sometimes people don't give gifts because that's not the way they receive love mm-hmm. and they just think it's like Some kind of, I don't know, traditional gender role Mm -hmm. kind of garbage to like give you flowers. Not that that's my relationship, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I think things, I think
2: we don't always get Mm -hmm.
0: the way the other person.
2: Well, gifts can also be something really, really thoughtful too, like a scrapbook or. Tickets to a show that, that are an hour and a half away, but you know they love that person. Or just, just a like, sweet note. You yeah. Know. Mm-hmm. yeah. Words of affirmation and a gift at the same time. Hello. Hey. Um, and then the last one is acts of service, which is, you know, doing something for your partner, doing the laundry or. Bring me coffee. Mm-hmm, exactly. Or um, sending them a text and being like, hey, I-, I know you had a busy night. Do you want me to grab us dinner? Something like that. Oh, I do a lot of that. I'm mm-hmm. like, I go
0: to a business dinner and I'm like, hey, do you want me to get you a pizza? Oh, yeah. He do. like won't feed himself. <laughs> Anyway.
2: You are really good at that. Where do we... Thank you. Mm -hmm. I like the food. Mm -hmm. So how do we learn more about this, Maggie? So if you want to learn more about this and how to apply it in your life or just in general discovering the languages that that you use or you perceive as special as a moment of love you can visit girlboss.com and search five love languages
0: i think you might need to search the number itself but i'm not sure could come back come up either way Mm -hmm, mm
2: -hmm.
0: all right thanks maggie Now get ready to hear from Chief Creative Officer of Hearst Magazine's Joanna Coles. You grew up in England. I did. What
1: was that like? Uh, it was a little depressing. I grew up in the north of England and uh, we constantly had power outages. And this is going to make me sound ancient and I'm really not Britain was still recovering from the impact of the Second World War. So actually, London was swinging, but in the north of England, we hadn't caught up with that excitement of the 60s. And I couldn't wait to get out. Yeah,
0: I know that feeling. I mean, I grew up in Sacramento, which is like, yeah, it's like there's San Francisco nearby. There's a real city nearby, but... Culturally, it was a real wasteland. Um, Yeah. And, yeah, it's nice to get out as early as you can. Yeah, I was
1: tantalized by the prospect of the Beatles, who were in Liverpool, and then later on, there was Joy Division, which was in Manchester. Oh, my God. But it was all about getting to London. Yeah.
0: And so, but you... Just before, you did move to London. I moved to London, yeah. I moved to college and then I moved to
1: London. But as a child, you started a magazine. I did. I started a magazine with my uh, best friend who lived next door and we photocopied it and we delivered it regardless of whether or not people were interested, uh, and put it through people's mailboxes. What was it called? It was called Your Choice, which was ironic because they had no choice in whether or not they received it. But even then, weirdly, it turns out that when you do covers of magazines, one of the most important words you can use on the the cover is your, because it individualizes, it makes the reader Mm -hmm. think it's about them. And that was one
0: of the two words. Was it a fashion magazine? What was no, the focus? No, it was sort
1: of weird ramblings about my observations. It was a sort of collection of poems we liked, some quite bad drawings, and sort of very short stories. Do you still have copies? Do you know, I don't think I do, but I did send a copy to the Queen of England, and I eventually got a letter back from her maiden waiting saying that she loved it and was looking forward to further issues. Wow. And I do
0: have a copy of that letter. She might still have a copy.
1: Oh, interesting. <laughs> she might still have a copy. I wonder if maybe she read it and felt like she could read and toss. She might still have a copy, but I do have the letter she sent me. So what was your first job? My first job was in a newsagent selling sweets and magazines.
0: Selling sweets. What's
1: yeah. a sweet? Well, sweet is candy. So we I would sell huge yeah. amounts of Cadbury's and then lots of magazines, including the odd porno magazine.
0: Oh wow. What was the name of that porno magazine? Uh, it was
1: it was either Playboy or Penthouse okay. at that stage. But I remember selling them and the men would buy them and then put them in a newspaper and I would always make a point of pulling it out of the newspaper when they were purchasing it wasn't like they were trying to steal it, but they were embarrassed of it. And I felt uh, like I'm going to just acknowledge that you're buying a porn magazine. Yeah,
0: own it. Yeah. So you went to university. I did. In England. Yes. what did you study? What was that like?
1: I studied English and American literature. I had an absolute blast because really all I did was read novels from the last hundred years. So I spent a lot of time reading Hemingway, Scott Fitzgerald, William Faulkner. I did a little bit of James Fenimore Cooper, but I tried to do as little old stuff as I could. But it was a great lens through which to understand America. And when I applied for American citizenship citizenship, uh, it became one of the things that showed I'd had a long-stand
0: interest in America. Right out of college, Joanna was able to get a job at a magazine, and a couple of years after that, she got a job as a newspaper reporter. These jobs are typically highly coveted and rarely come up right after school. So I asked Joanna, how was she able to get those jobs right after college? Well, the spectator job was
1: advertised and I applied for it and went through endless numbers of interviews and it was a really fun place to work and my first reporting job was at a magazine called, uh, was at a newspaper called the Daily Telegraph, which at the time I think was actually the biggest newspaper in the world. It had an enormous circulation, or the, the biggest broadsheet newspaper in the world. And there I ended up as the night news editor, which meant I had to go in at 6 p.m. and I worked through till 3 a.m. And you would call people and raise them from their beds to send them on stories. So the last. Th- the last person people wanted to hear from was me because I'd either be interrupting their dinner or I'd be interrupting their sleep, saying, "Oh, listen, there's a story you've got
0: to go and check it out." What kind of interview skills? I mean, what do you think it is about you that got you those jobs were Were there qualities that you know that you had or that you recommend to our listeners who may be looking for a job? I mean, you've also hired a ton of people, so uh, you know whether it's your early career or the the women that you've hired. What do you think the best qualities are for someone looking for a job? Definitely enthusiasm about the place. I think do your research
1: before you go for the interview so you are able to talk about it knowledgeably. I was always astonished when I would interview people and it was clear they'd never bothered to read the things that I like was working for. they don't know for. who you are. Or right, and they're, and they're like, kind of, what am I doing here? And that would piss me off. Um, so I think research the company – research where the company is trying to go so you can speak to the future, uh, think about your skills so you can talk about them frankly. They may ask you that bullshit question, what do you think your weaknesses are? Which I've never asked in an interview, but if they do have some weaknesses that you can address, which in fact really are strengths.
0: I don't like it when people say, I'm I just, you know, I, I'm workaholic or like, you know, I'm just, you know, the qualities that, might look... I mean, not that we hired workaholics, but some people... Or they, or they go, oh, I'm a perfectionist. Everything has to be perfect. And you're like, well, that would be great, but that's not a weakness.
1: Yes. Well, yeah. th- th- that's, uh, well I mean, it would be very interesting to see how one would react if someone said, well, I'm
0: late all the time. Mm. Because that's not
1: a very attractive weakness. So you don't want to be too frank.
0: Joanna has interviewed countless job candidates during her vast career. She revealed her least favorite interview moment why she found it so off-putting and some tips on how you can avoid moments like this in your search for a job.
1: I'll tell you one thing that somebody did in an interview which really freaked me out when I was interviewing them. They came in and I was sitting on a sofa with a sort of table in front of me and this woman came in with an enormous Hermes Birkin bag and she just put it down on the table in front of me and I almost wanted to address the questions to the bag,
0: Mm -hmm. and
1: I couldn't understand why, A, if she had this $15,000 bag, she needed the job that I had on offer because it wasn't going to pay that kind of money. It was just a very odd behavior.
0: Yeah, if you come in looking too well off, and it's probably not fair on the hiring manager's end to judge that, but when you're that hiring manager and you're working so hard and someone comes in who hasn't gotten to the place in their career that you have and you can't even afford that bag, it's hard not to resent it. And you do question, do you actually need a job? Because when you need a job, you tend to be more committed, right? You don't have the choices of just being, having the luxury of taking whatever job just you know, that is fun.
1: Yeah, and it was like she'd bought the Birkin in to prove something to me. And if she'd put it down on the side of her chair, I wouldn't have probably noticed it. But the fact it squatted throughout the interview mm-hmm.
0: was very odd. So what magazine were you at when that was happening? Do you think she did that because she wanted to impress you with her fashion prowess? Sort of
1: fashion savvy. Uh, maybe, maybe. At the time I was at Marie Claire and um, it's possible that that's what she wanted to do. It, it was just an odd
0: rather aggressive gesture. Joanna has worked at multiple women's publications, and though each publication is under the same umbrella, the culture and audience they serve can be quite different. She shared the difference between working at Mary Claire versus working at Cosmo and what different audience each serves.
1: What's interesting is that for you as a consumer of magazines, they all sort of morph into one. And actually, if you're a customer, it doesn't really matter who publishes them. What you're buying is the title. Uh, At Marie Claire, it was very much focused on women of the world. So we had a lot of very intriguing stories about women in the developing world. And, you know, we would find villages where there were only women living or villages where every time a woman had a period, she had to leave the village and live in a special hut Uh, or villages where every time a girl had a period, she couldn't go to school for a week. Uh, So these kind of very challenging situations for women to grow up in that women in the West find hard to comprehend. That was very much Marie Claire's sort of unique positioning. Cosmo, much more about America and much more kind of like your cheerful big sister bringing you on into the world and telling you stuff that your mum doesn't want you to know.
0: And there's a certain point where you got into television production while you were at Marie Claire?
1: Yeah, when I was at Marie Claire, we did a show called Running in Heels, which was really about the fun of working at a magazine. And then when I was at Cosmo, we did So Cosmo and we also launched... Um, the Bold Type which is on Freeform and we've just begun shooting our third series. Wow, yeah. I've watched it. I love
0: it. It's fun, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's really fun. And, and the marketing sort of, has been very well done.
1: The marketing is really, really exciting. We were absolutely thrilled and I loved and it's very much uh, apropos of girl Girlboss. Uh, I'm a boss bitch, not a bitch <laughs> boss or You're whatever it is. Boss. I can't remember
0: it. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about girl boss. <laughs> I'm curious, you know, Uh, Cosmopolitan magazine is one of the most commercial magazines. And, you know, we all come up in our careers sometimes thinking like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to be creative all the time and marrying our personal interests or our creative aspirations with commercial opportunities, which are often the things that can pay for that Birkin bag. How have you, you know, married your creative ambitions with, Making sure that those are aligned with the commercial opportunity, with the you know impetus to maintain a commercial, a commercial magazine.
1: Well, it's a great question, and it's very challenged in today's media environment because there are all sorts of competitors coming from nowhere. You're one; you're providing great content for people. Um, I think that's
0: very flattering. <laughs>
1: uh, well, but the exciting thing about media now is that there's so much more of it. And a lot of it's aimed at women. And obviously, that's the space that Cosmo led for a long time. And it has many more challenges now, largely online. Um, So it's an interesting, challenging uh, environment. And your question is a a great one. And I think uh, when you meet designers, fashion designers, the ones that I've always felt most interesting were the ones that were able to marry creativity and commerce. So you look at someone like Michael Kors, you look at, Mark Jacobs, uh, you look at the designers that have gone, I mean, Virgil Abloh now at, at Louis Vuitton, mm-hmm. and the extraordinary ability to be able to produce something that is different and new and creative and has an audience and an audience that will pay for it is really exciting. And, um, you know, it's what you wake up every morning thinking about doing. I think that it always comes from from the point of view of content, that you have to have a point of view and you have to understand what good content is. And then to a large extent, the commercial bit follows in terms of finding brands that want to to partner with you be it in advertising or sponsored uh, content or events, which you and I have done together. Mm -hmm. I launched a series of conferences at Cosmo and we were thrilled to have you as one of our very first speakers at the Lincoln Centre where we had 3,000 young women who came uh, to be inspired. And I think it changed a lot of lives that first weekend that we did with our Fun Fearless conference. So it's constantly uphill work, marrying the creative with the commerce because there are so many more creators now than there used to be but it's also exciting when you get it right it's wonderful when you sell a great program it's fantastic mm-hmm.
0: well, who are the you know young women who have come up from maybe an internship or really kind of ra- risen through the ranks at Hearst. What are the qualities that they've had that you've taken note of once they have figured out how to ace that interview?
1: Well, it's funny. I was trying to get hold of someone today who I hired who um, had done a... I remember hiring her as a junior editor and I was intrigued by her resume because she'd done a... Uh, her. Univers- or her college dissertation was on anorexia in the novels of the Bronte sisters which I was just blown away by the idea of that and she was just this incredibly type A girl who just everything she did was buttoned up everything she came in she over-researched she over-presented she was fantastic and I'm trying to track her down right now you know I look for people that can do the job who are enthusiastic, who don't create drama. I don't like working with people who create unnecessary drama. I don't have the energy for it. And I want the energy to go into the creativity, not the sort of personal drama around it. And I like a variety of people. I uh, have lots of weaknesses. So I'm always trying to hire people that will help me look better. And I have people that I like that have good positive energy.
0: There seems to be an assumption that the women who come to work at magazines such as Cosmo and Marie Claire have a certain pedigree, including going to a top college and being part of the New York City elite, I don't know, having parents who can, with friends or whatever, I feel like I've seen them, but maybe that's not the case. And therefore I wondered, as not one of those women, did Joanna have any examples of past hires who didn't have that pedigree, and if so, what did their background look like? And I think that's a
1: trope in the culture that you have to have a private income to work at a fashion magazine. Now, does a fashion magazine play the same as Wall Street or pay the same as big tech? No, of course not. But it's a great place for creative people. And if I tell you that the he- uh, one of the uh, celebrity bookers at Hearst is a young man who left Russia when he was 13, went to Italy, learned Italian, and then three months after he'd learned Italian and become fluent in it, his mother said, oh, actually, we're not staying in Italy. We're moving to uh, New York. He moved to New York, taught himself English from watching Seinfeld and I Love Lucy. Wow. Uh, and now he's booking all Hearst celebrities. Uh, didn't go to college, is one of the most effective weapons We have in finding the best celebrities, you know, when Madonna's got a new album out, she calls him and wants him to hear it, you know, in one of her first five people. Uh, So we're always looking for people like that that bring something extra to the table that aren't cookie cutter, you know, prep school, Ivy League kids. There are some of those because some of them bring a lot to the table, too. But you want a mix. Um, One of my favourite hires in our fashion department is Tiffany Reed, who grew up in the Bronx. And Sunday mornings was when her family put their finery on and went to church. And every day in the office, you would feel like she was reliving that moment of going to church in her best outfits. She puts outfits together absolutely brilliantly. She's a wonderful, wonderful uh, member of the fashion team. The fashion team is led by Aya Kanai, who couldn't have a better fashion, Fashion pedigree. Her parents worked for Issey Miyake, both of them. Wow. Um, she's half Japanese, and she went to Oberlin. So you want you want an entire mix to represent the audience that you're trying to reach.
0: In speaking of maybe not having that pedigree, or or showing up uh, early in your career, not having the style that can really impress. And, you know, for me, my style really evolved from the time I started Nasty. Oh my God. Like I look, I Google myself and it's just terrifying. Can taste be acquired? I think taste is a reflection
1: of confidence and confidence can be acquired and confidence comes through experience and it comes through success and it comes through self-knowledge and self awareness. And I think that's probably, when you look back at pictures of your self and you cringe, all of us do that, what you're cringing at is maybe not so much actually what you were wearing or how you had your hair done, but what that said about what you were going through at the time. Mm -hmm. And if it's not where you were feeling comfortable, that's actually, I think, what you're reacting to.
0: You've had a really long career at Hearst. How long have you been at Hearst? Well, I've been at Hearst 12 years. And... Have you had many? Do you feel like it's possible to have many careers within a single organization? Yes,
1: I do. I certainly have felt that. I started as the editor-in-chief of Marie Claire, then I moved to Cosmo. Then they created a new role for me as chief content officer. And I think those have been three distinct jobs, but within those jobs, they all had different verticals, if you like, within them. So we were doing television, we were doing web series, we were doing Snapchat, we were doing podcasts, we were creating mini media empires within each brand. And when I became chief content officer, I was trying to help other brands do that too.
0: How do you stay up to speed on all of the innovations that are happening Obviously, at a point it was Snapchat. They're constantly emerging new channels to create content, and surface content, and create revenue. And it can be hard. It can be hard to keep up for anybody uh, because there's so many places to be creating content. Are there publications that you read? Are there you know, innovation experts at your company? Uh, is it something that you seek out personally? Do you surround yourself with, you know, I mean, for me... I'm like 34 and that's, you know, relatively young. But still, I'm not out at shows. I'm not going to, I'm not on the ground with culture anymore in the same way that I once was. How do you stay there? How do you keep evolving in that way?
1: Well, I talk to people a lot. So what you're trying to do is get information that not everybody else has. So I read the same as everybody else. You know, I look at the Wall Street Journal. I look at the New York Times. I look at Recode. I'm, I'm like a whale sucking up plankton. But what I really do is talk to people. And when you're having one-on-one conversations, those aren't being amplified across media. So you're trying to get information that not everybody else has because that's the added value.
0: Most of us are familiar with the Hearst name and Hearst family to a certain context, but I was curious to hear more of the details of what the Hearst Company actually does. So I asked Joanna, for those of us who don't know, what exactly is the Hearst Company and what sorts of titles are currently under the Hearst banner? The magazine titles under the Hearst banner are...
1: are magazines that you would know incredibly well, Harper's Bazaar, Elle, Marie Claire, Cosmo, Good Housekeeping – L L Decor, um, Veranda, House Beautiful, Food Network Magazine, HGTV Magazine. Most recently, we launched Pioneer Woman from Reed Drummond, an Airbnb magazine. Uh, we have Esquire, we have Popular Mechanics. So we have a very wide, diverse group of magazines. And the company itself is diversified in all sorts of ways. We uh, own half of A&E, which is Lifetime and the History Channels, as well as A&E itself we have a big investment in ESPN we have a lot of investments in health yeah great investment thank goodness for ESPN you know there's the ebb and flow of all the investments we have we have a lot of investments in tech and in data I mean they talk about data as being the new oil we have a lot of investments in health data in travel data Uh, so it's a very well diversified
0: company. We have so much more with Joanna coming up, but first, I want to talk a little about Ship Station. Mm, oh, my man. favorite. Ship Station's our favorite. Because we have so many entrepreneurs, side hustlers, small business owners, whatever you <laughs> consider yourself, listening to Girl Boss Radio, which is why ShipStation is so important. It is the fastest and easiest way to manage and ship your orders all from one place. I wish I had this when I was an eBay oh seller, when I was a small business owner. It gets much more complicated after that. Uh, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Sometimes it's nice to have a small business and manage your lifestyle. <laughs> and speaking of managing your lifestyle, ShipStation makes that possible uh, they work with Shopify Squarespace mm-hmm. Etsy and over 75 other popular selling channels and you can manage it from any device even from your phone and they create labels for all the top carriers, including USPS FedEx and UPS it's super simple you'll ship more with less time and with the best rates available so you don't have to go on three different websites to figure out
2: and Maggie, we, we use it here, right? We use it all the time. We're shipping things day, d- day by day, hour by hour. Um, and it can be really hard to track things um, just due to human error. You know, you can be as specific and particular about things, but there's so many labels that you end up sometimes accidentally m- messing things up or mixing them up. So ShipStation makes it so easy because their labels are so detailed. They have exactly what you need to ship. And if you're selling with Shopify or Squarespace or any of these selling channels,
0: it literally just sucks in the information that your customer types in for their checkout Yep. instead of you having to redo it. Exactly. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Human error. Mm-hmm. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> thanks, but no thanks. Right now. Try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use our promo code GIRLBOSS. So don't wait. Go to ShipStation.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com. Enter GIRLBOSS. ShipStation.
2: Make Make ship happen. happen.
0: We have so much more with Joanna coming up, but first, let's talk a little bit about Skillshare. We all like to learn here. We love it. Don't we? And if you don't know, Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 20,000 classes in business, marketing, technology, design, and more. And those are all things that we care about here at Girlboss, and I know if you're listening, you care about too. So there's a bunch of different classes, and Mm -hmm. you've
2: taken a few, right, Maggie? Yeah, I'm still taking one on how to use my camera, just got a Canon, and there are a lot of settings that are very tricky, and if you just don't know the camera, you you don't know how to use it properly, so it's been really helpful in expanding and just making my pictures turn out 10 times better. If not, I would just point and shoot and be like, I think I probably don't need a fancy camera for that.
0: And You can get as everyday or as deep as you mm-hmm. want in what you want to know. I mean, data science, like Ooh. data science, which is like actually a really important career in tomorrow's today's world. Mm-hmm. Web development, again, we get to control our fates if we know how to develop things on the web. There's an increasing number of positions. We need more women in technology, and Skillshare can help us get there. (laughs) So join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right. Skillshare is offering Girlboss listeners two months of unlimited access to over 20,000 classes for just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Girlboss. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Girlboss to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash Girlboss.